It was just one of them weird coincidences. I was high on heroin that night, heroin and whiskey. I'd never shot heroin before, so eight people got killed. This was Richard Speck, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. Born Richard Benjamin Speck in 1941, he's the seventh of eight children to Benjamin and Mary Speck. They moved to Monmouth. His mother was religious, and his father was a packer at Western Stonemore. The family was pretty solid. Speck and his younger sister had each other. The oldest siblings were a lot older, so they weren't about. And Speck was close to his father, and it was all normal and good. In 1947, though, Speck's father died suddenly of a heart attack. Three years on, Speck's mother was on a train to Chicago. She got talking to a travelling insurance salesman named Carl August Rudolf Lindbergh. He had a shitty past with a record of forgeries and many DUIs. Nevertheless, the couple married and Lindbergh was the complete opposite of Speck's father. He was a drunk most of the time, as well as being verbally abusive, often disappearing. Speck would stay with his sister Sarah to finish second grade. Then he moved to Santo in Texas to be with his mother and Lindbergh. They lasted a year in Santo and then they moved to East Dallas. This would be a pattern moving 10 times in 12 years, usually to poor, rundown neighborhoods. Speck struggled in school. He was supposed to wear glasses for reading, but he refused to do so. He had to repeat the eighth grade. In ninth grade, he failed each and every subject. So he just dropped out in January 1958. Outside of school wasn't great either. At 12, he started drinking. 15, he was drunk nearly every day. And he was arrested first in 1955 for trespassing and then went on a string of misdemeanors for the next eight years. 1960-63, Speck worked at the drinks company 7-Up in Dallas. October 1961, at age 20, he met Shirley Malone, 15, at a Texas State Fair. Weeks into the relationship, Shirley became pregnant. They married January 19, 1962, and moved in with Speck's sisters and her husband. Soon his mother came to after splitting from Lindbergh. Richard had been using the name Richard Benjamin Lindbergh reluctantly, but with the split he went back to the original Richard Speck. July 5th, 1962, Speck's daughter, Robbie Lynn, was born while he was doing a 22-day jail sentence for disturbing the peace while drunk. July 1963, Speck was sentenced to three years for forgery and burglary. He had forged and cashed co-workers' paychecks and robbed a grocery store for smokes, drink and a $3 cash. In 1965, after 16 months, he was paroled. This freedom lasted no more than a week. January 9, 1965, he was arrested after he tried to attack a woman in a car parking lot with a carving knife. The woman let out a scream and Speck fled. Police caught him a few blocks away. He was this time convicted of aggravated assault, given 16 months to run with the parole violation and sent back to prison. But some sort of mix-up happened and he was released six months later. 
Once released, he worked three months as a driver for Patterson Meat Company. In the three months, he crashed the company truck six times. Eventually, he was fired due to not showing up. December 1965, Speck's mom made an odd suggestion. She suggested Speck move in with a 29-year-old divorced woman, once a wrestler and now a bartender at his favourite bar, Guinea's Lounge. Anyway, she suggested him to move in and take care of her children like a live-in babysitter. A month later, January 1966, Shirley divorced Speck. That same month, Speck stabbed a man at a bar fight. Again charged with aggravated assault, but a defense attorney paid by his mother got it down to disturbing the peace and a fine of $10. But Speck didn't pay it, so he ended up in jail for three days. This was the last police custody he was in in Dallas. March 1966, Speck got a car and then robbed a grocery store. He stole 70 packs of smokes and then parked up in the store's car park selling the smokes he just stole. The police found out it was Speck and issued a warrant for his arrest. If he was caught under this warrant, it would have been his 42nd arrest in Dallas. But the day after the warrant, Speck's sister took him to the bus depot, got him a ticket to Chicago, put him on the bus and waved him off. In Chicago, he stayed at first with his sister Martha, then back to Monmouth, staying with family and friends. His brother Howard got him a job as a sander with a carpenter. March 16, 1966, the divorce was granted with Shirley. Two days later, she remarried and this pissed Speck off. And he moved to the Christie Hotel and began drinking and bar hopping. At the end of March, he was bar hopping and at some point during one night, he threatened a man in the restroom with a knife so he was detained overnight by police. April 3rd, Mrs. Fergal Harris, a 65-year-old woman who was babysitting, came home at about 1am. She found a man inside robbing her house. She described him as white, six foot, very polite, soft-spoken with a sudden drawl. The man tied her up, blindfolded her, raped her, ransacked the house, and stole her babysitting money of $2.50. A week later, 32-year-old Mary Pierce was working at her brother-in-law's tavern, Frank's Place. She was last seen on April 9th at about 12.20 a.m. leaving the tavern. April 13th, she was reported missing, and that same day she was found behind the tavern in a hog house. She died from a ruptured liver that was caused from a blow to her abdomen. Speck drank at Frank's and helped build the hog house. The police briefly questioned him about her death and asked him to stay in town for more questioning. But April 19th, the police rocked up to the Christie Hotel to speak to Speck more and they discovered he had left an hour before with a suitcase to go do laundry. He never returned. Searching his room, they found items taken from Harris's home and items from two other burglaries the previous month. April 19, 1966, Speck was staying at his sister's Martha's apartment with her, her husband and their two teen daughters. Martha's husband, Jean, used to be in the U.S. Navy and taught the U.S. Merchant Marines might suit Speck. 
So April 25th, he talks back to the US Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice seaman. The application meant he had to do a physical, be fingerprinted and photographed. Once getting the letter, Speck found work immediately and joined the 33-member crew of Inland Steel's Clarence B. Randall Lake Fretter. April 30th was his first voyage, but by May 3rd, he was evacuated to hospital with an appendicitis and had emergency surgery. Once discharged from hospital, he went back to Martyrs to recover. May 20th, he was back on the Clarence B. Randall until June 14th, when he got drunk and had a fight with a boat's officer. June 15th, he was put ashore. For a week, he stayed at St. Elmo, a Chicago flop house, then travelled the train to Hoyton, staying at Douglas House to visit Judy Lachimia, a nursing aide he met while he was in hospital. She would give him $80 to help him out until he found work. He left to stay with Martha once again. So June 30th, Jean took Speck to the National Marine Union, NMU, to fill his paperwork to get a seaman's card. The hiring hall was near South Chicago Community Hospital, which had senior student nurses and Filipino exchange nurses. Eight of these nurses lived in a townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street, about 46 metres from NMU hiring hall. July 8, Jean took to, bleh, again took spec to NMU Hall to pick up the seaman's card and register for a BART on a ship. But he lost out to a more senior BART, so he went back to Martha's for the weekend. Monday, July 11th, enough was enough at Martha's, so Speck packed his bags and went to NMU Hall to await a BART position on a ship. Tuesday, July 12th, mid-afternoon, he was assigned to Sinclair Oil's tanker, but when he arrived, his position was already taken. By the time he got back to NMU, it was closed. With no money to room, he dropped his bags at a shell filling station and slept in an unfinished home. July 13th, NMU Hall again. Speck was really angry with what happened the day before. His sister Martha and Jean had picked him up to drive him to MMU Hall, parking at an elementary school across from the townhouse where the nurses lived. Martha gave Speck $25 and Speck went into NMU Hall. Pissed off of waiting, Speck walked out and down to the shipyard inn. He spent the day drinking in the taverns and at some point he met Ella May Hooper, who was drinking in the same tavern. He took her to his room in the shipyard inn, raped her and stole her .22 caliber handgun. He got dressed all in black and left with a gun and a switchblade. He had a dinner and was seen drinking in the shipyard inn until about 10, 20 past 10 at night. He then walked to the nurse's townhouse at 2319 East 100 Street. At 11 p.m., Speck broke into the 2319 East 11th Street townhouse, which at the time was a dormitory for student nurses. Using only the knife, he killed Gloria Davy, Patricia Matuski, 
Nina Jo Schmal, Pamela Wilkinen, Suzanne Farris, Mary Ann Jordan, Merlita Gargulo, and Valentina Passion. The speculator said he was drunk and high and may have planned to rob the place first and got carried away. He held the women in a room from in the house. He took each of them out one by one and stabbed or strangled them to death. With Gloria Davy, the final victim, he raped and strangled her. One victim managed to escape death, Corazon Amorawa. She crawled and hid under the bed while Speck was out of the room. It's thought Speck either lost count of the women or knew there was eight, not realizing the night was spending the night. Corazon stayed under the bed until six o'clock in the morning. Fingerprints at the scene matched Speck. Two days later, Speck was identified by a drifter called Claude Longsford. July 15th, on a fire escape at the Star Hotel, Claude, Speck and another man were drinking. On the 16th, Claude saw a sketch on the evening paper of the murderer and recognised the sketch to be Speck. He would phone the police at about 9.30 that night after finding Speck in his room. The police, though, did not respond, but records do show the call was made. Feeling the pressure, Speck tried to commit suicide that night, but a hotel desk clerk found him and called in the emergency at about midnight. Speck arrives at Cook County Hospital at 12.30am on July 17th. At the hospital, Dr. Leroy Smith recognised Speck from his tattoo, Born to Raise Hell, that was described in the newspapers. The police were called and Richard Speck was finally arrested. At the time, there was a story of Miranda cases that had vacated convictions of many crimes. Because of this, Speck was not questioned for three weeks after his arrest. Judge Herbert Passion appointed an impartial panel to report on Speck's mental state to stand trial and his sanity at the time of the crimes. The panel had three physicians for the defence, three for prosecution, making up five psychiatrists and one general surgeon. The report deemed Speck competent to stand trial and sane at the time of the murders. While waiting for his trial, Speck took part in the sessions with Cook County Jail psychiatrist Dr. Marvin Siporin. Siporin discharge summary would have Speck depressed, anxious, guilt-ridden and ashamed of his emotions but also deep love for his family. He would note an obsessive compulsive disorder, personality disorder and a Madonna prostitute attitude to women. Ziporin said Speck viewed women as saintly but once portrayed for any reason hostility began. Speck was diagnosed with organic brain syndrome from cerebral injuries he had in his early years. Speck said he was competent to stand trial but insane when he committed the crimes because of the effects the alcohol and drugs had on his organic brain syndrome. 
Dr. Ciparin was never called for the defense or prosecution because just before the trial, it was found out Ciparin was writing a book about spec and getting paid for it. Also, Cook County Jail fired the doctor for this a week after Speck's trial ended. Once caught, Speck claims no memory of the murders but had confessed all to the hospital doctor Leroy Smith. Smith couldn't testify because the confession was given while Speck was medicated. But it didn't matter as there were eyewitnesses. It, was, it wasn't until 1978 that Speck would publicly confess to Bob Green, communist for the Chicago Tribune. The trial began April 3rd, 1967 and had a gag order on the press. In the trial, Speck identified Cor- Corazon as the fr- one student nurse to survive. Corazon would take the stand and ask to identify the killer of her friends. She confidently stood up, walked to Speck, extended her arm, pointing her fingers centimeters from his face, and calmly said, this is the man. Lieutenant Emil Geises would testify the fingerprints at the scene matched those of Richard Speck. April 15th, just 15 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Speck guilty and called for the death penalty. June 5th, the judge sentenced him to death by electric chair. However, he was granted immediate stay pending automatic appeals. The Illinois Supreme Court would uphold the conviction and the death sentence on November 22, 1968. December 1965 and March 1966, Nature, a weekly scientific journal, and The Lancet, a weekly peer-reviewed medical journal, published findings by British cytogenicist Patricia Jacobs of a chromosome survey of patients at Scotland's only security hospital for the developmentally disabled. Nine patients were found to have extra Y chromosomes known as the XYY syndrome. Jacobs would theorize that men with the XYY syndrome were found to be more prone to aggression and violent behavior. This though would later be proven incorrect. August 1966, Eric Engel, a Swiss endocrinologist, wrote to Speck's attorney, Gerald Getty, who was reportedly planning an insanity defense. Engel suggested that Speck might have XYY syndrome but a chromosome analysis done by Engel revealed Speck had normal XY chromosome. June 28, 1971, the US Supreme Court upheld Speck's conviction, but reversed the death sentence due to the fact 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded. The case was remanded back to Illinois for resentencing. June 29, 1972, the death penalty was declared unconstitutional, so Illinois Supreme Court ordered Speck resentenced to prison by the original Cook County Court. November 21, 1972, Speck was resentenced to 400 to 1,200 years. This was reduced to 100 to 300 years. He was denied parole in 1976, 77, 78, 81, 84, 87 and 1990.
While incarcerated, Speck got the nickname the Birdman as he kept sparrows. He was said to be a loner who uh, did stamp collection and listened to music. Speck was caught with drugs and moonshine regularly. Punishment would never stop him as according to him, he's in for 1200 years, so what more could they give him? Speck hated reporters but did agree to an interview with Bob Green of the Chicago Tribunal. In the interview, he confessed to the murders, hoping to be out by 2000 and wanted to run his own grocery store. Regarding the murders, he said, quote, I have no feelings at all that night. They said there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. It felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell for those girls and for their families and for me. If I had to do it over again, it would have been a simple burglary, end quote. December 1991, Speck started to complain of chest pains. He was taken to Silver Cross Hospital and died early hours of December 5th from a heart attack. The coroner would find an enlarged heart, emphysema and clogged arteries. A perfect cocktail for a fatal heart attack. Fear in his grave would be vandalised. Speck was cremated and the ashes scattered in a secret location. And that is the story of Richard Speck. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe on my YouTube channel or podcast for more. And join me next time for the story of Hercules Mulligan, an unsung hero of the US Revolution. He was one of America's most important spies. But until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.